This morning, I think most of us are familiar with the initials VIP, right? You've heard those initials at some point in your life. Uh, You've read them, uh, whatever it may be. You are familiar with the initials VIP, and you know what those initials stand for. You know what they mean. It means very important person, all right? VIP means a very important person. Now, this morning, with that in mind, I think most of us would say today that while we are important people to some, we are not considered to be important people to this world. Meaning, I would like to think this morning that I am important to my family. I'd like to think that I'm important to friends. I am important to the church family. There are many people that I would like to believe that I am important to, but if I were to say to you this morning that I am a very important person in this world, I think most of the world would say, who are you? Because they don't recognize me to be a very important person. I, at best, would just be a very average individual, and I'm okay with that. That in mind, something that we know about VIPs is this, is that when they are in certain situations, it does seem as though sometimes they receive preferential treatment. Have you ever noticed that? If there's a VIP in your presence and it's not you, it seems like that, uh, that very important person, they are receiving some kind of preferential treatment. They don't have to stand in line like the rest of us. They get to sit where they want to sit, not just where there's an empty seat available. This one really bothers me at church functions whenever I'm not the VIP. They get to go through the buffet line first. I want to go through the buffet line first, and yet I'm not the VIP. They are the VIP, and they get to skip the line, and they get to go through the buffet line. I don't like it, but that is the case. You and I, we understand the principle. We understand the idea that when a very important person is in our presence or in the presence of others, they do receive preferential treatment. And as we understand that principle, we would also have to be honest this morning and admit we've been guilty of doing such just on a much smaller scale. When we have company over, we want to make sure that the company is taken care of. We want to make sure that they are the first to go through the line. We want to make sure that they're seated in a comfortable place. That's just the way it works. VIPs receive special treatment. That's just the way we approach matters of that nature. Now, this morning we're in Deuteronomy chapter 34. I came to this portion of Scripture a few weeks ago in doing my Bible reading. And there are just elements about Deuteronomy that I find to be heartbreaking. And I'm going to try to walk us through several passages today to try to get to this point that I want us to think about. But notice in verse number 10 of Deuteronomy chapter 34, it says this, And there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses. And there arose not a prophet or a spiritual leader, a spiritual guide. There arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses. What does that simple statement mean? It means this, 
that after Moses, the nation of Israel never had a prophet or a spiritual leader like Moses again. Moses was in a league all of his own. Moses was not a man whose life was duplicated or replicated in the life of someone else. No, when Moses passed from this life, when Moses died and he entered into eternity, the scripture says this, that there was never another person by way of a prophet in all of Israel like him. And the next few verses explain what separated or distinguished him from anyone who ever came after him. Notice what it says in verse number 10. It says this of Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Whom the Lord knew face to face. Now friends, you and I don't have to be much of a scholar. We do not have to be much of a Bible student to know that right there, that statement alone separates him from 99.99999% of everyone who has ever walked on this earth. It says that Moses knew the Lord and the Lord knew Moses face to face. You and I cannot comprehend that. You and I cannot understand that. You and I cannot begin to grasp what that means. But we do know this, that Moses enjoyed a relationship with the Lord that no one since him in the nation of Israel ever experienced. It says in verse number 11, In all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land. What was it about Moses that separated him from every other prophet since him? The Bible says it's not just the fact that he knew the Lord face to face, but it was also the works and the miracles and the signs and the wonders that Moses was able to perform in the land of Egypt in front of Pharaoh and his servants and to all his land. Think about it. It was Moses who went to Pharaoh and the rod turned into a serpent and that serpent turned into a rod again. It was Moses who went into the presence of Pharaoh, put his hand inside his coat and he pulled it out and it was leprous. He put his hand back inside his coat or his garment and he brought it out and it was whole and it was well and it was cleansed and it was pure. It was Moses who turned the water in Egypt into blood. It was Moses who with the rod brought in the plague of the frogs and the lice and the darkness and everything else that they experienced. It was because of God working through Moses that Pharaoh and his servants and all the land knew of the power and the might of God. That is what separated Moses from all other prophets. Then in verse number 12, it says this, And in all the mighty hand and in all the great terror which Moses showed in the sight of all Israel. The mighty hand and all the great terror which Moses showed in the sight of all Israel. Imagine for just a moment being an Israelite under the leadership of Moses. Can you imagine for just a moment 
You've already witnessed the plagues. You've already seen everything that has happened there in the land of Egypt. Once you are finally brought out, you come to the Red Sea, and if you are one of the Israelites who is following Moses at that time, you know what you immediately began to do? You immediately began to gripe, and you immediately began to complain, and you immediately began to to bewail the fact that you had been brought out into the wilderness only to be killed here by the army of Pharaoh once again at the borders of the Red Sea. And yet, because of Moses and how God used him, that rod was spread out over the Red Sea, and God, through that miracle, brought the waters back and gave them dry land. And the children of Israel were able to pass over on dry land. And then when Pharaoh and all of his armies were inside the parameters or inside the borders of the Red Sea, the wall of water collapsed and drowned Pharaoh and his men. If you were a follower of Moses as a child of Israel, you got to witness that. Friends, that's more impressive than you will get following my leadership. Do you understand that? You will see nothing of the sort, okay? So you have to consider how amazing it was for the children of Israel to witness that. They witnessed because of the leadership of Moses, the manna that came and fed them. They, they witnessed so many things. And it was all of these things about the life of Moses that separated him from every other prophet after him. No other prophet knew the Lord face to face. No other prophet had been used to work the kind of wonders and signs in the land of Egypt that Moses was able to do. And again, no other prophet except for Moses was able to show the mighty hand and the terror to the people of Israel like Moses was able to do. Friends, Moses was special. Moses in the history of Israel was a very important person. You understand this, don't you? He was a VIP of VIPs. He was not down here with all the others. He was not down here with just your average, common, everyday person who was in the wilderness and in the desert. No, Moses was above them because of the way that God chose to use him. He was just a man and yet never a prophet since him arose in all the nation of Israel. Now that being said, this morning I want you to turn back to Numbers chapter 20. In Numbers chapter 20, here's what you know. If you're a student of the scripture, really at all, and you've read through this maybe a couple of times, you've, you've begun to detect this and to see what's happening. But in Numbers chapter 20, the children of Israel are very much engaged in their journey and their, their trek to the promised land, so to speak. And I want us to consider several verses this morning, and we'll get to the passage that is uh, fairly familiar to many of us. But it says in verse number 1, of Numbers chapter 20. Then came the children of Israel, even the whole congregation. Okay, so this is all the children of Israel, the whole congregation, estimated to be somewhere around 2 million people. And they are now, it says, in the desert of Zin in the first month. And the people abode in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Now what I want us to focus on for just a moment is this is that it says the whole congregation was in a desert of Zin, and they abode in Kadesh. Now, 
Here is something most of us know about deserts. They're not known for their ample supply of water. It's hard to be a desert area and have a lot of water present, okay? And so the children of Israel right now, they are in a desert. They are in Zen, this area of Kadesh. And it says in verse number 2, obviously, because they are at a desert or in a desert, it says, And there was no water for the congregation, and they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. So here are the children of Israel, and they are where they're at because of the leadership. Get this, please. They're here because of the leadership of God, though Moses is the earthly leader they are following. The children of Israel are just following that cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. They are here because God has led them here. But Moses is the man, for lack of better words, that they are following. And so now there's no water here where they're at. And it says that they came out against Moses and Aaron. Now keep in mind, please, this does not mean they brought a committee to Moses and Aaron to express some concern. It's not as though they came to them and and said, listen, Moses, listen, Aaron, we trust you and we trust the Lord. We're just curious. Where do you plan on us getting water? No, the idea indicated here is that they came in almost kind of a mob fashion. They are angry. They are furious. They are upset. They are mad, whatever you'd like to use to describe it. And they have come to Moses and Aaron and they have done so against them. And it says in verse number three, and the people chode with Moses or they began to chide with him and spake saying, would God that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. You know what the children of Israel wish now? They just wish they were dead. Why couldn't we have died when our brethren died before the Lord? And then notice what they said in verses 4 and 5. It says, And why have ye brought up the congregation of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our cattle should die there? And wherefore have ye made us to come up out of Egypt to bring us into this evil place? It is no place of seed or of figs or of vine or of pomegranates. Neither is there any water to drink. Now, don't you love this in verse number 4 and 5? Why have you done this to us? As if Moses and Aaron had the ability the ability to tell two million people what they would do. You understand this? You and I can't tell 20 people what to do. We can't tell five people what to do. If they don't want to do it, they're not going to do it. And so we've got approximately, according to the scholars, some two million people. And and the people have come to Moses and Aaron in anger and in a mob-like attitude toward them. And they're saying, why have you done this to us and why have you brought us out? Would to God we had just died when our brethren had died. So in verse number 6 it says, And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and they fell upon their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. So in the midst of all this, Moses and Aaron, they escape and they get away from the mob, they get away from the crowd, they they go to God in the midst of all this. And in verse number 7 it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, and gather thou the assembly together, 
Thou and Aaron thy brethren, speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock, so that thou shalt give the congregation and their beast drink. So we understand in verse number 8 what the command was. God said, get the assembly together, go to that rock, and when you get to the rock, he said, I want you to speak to that rock, and when you speak to the rock, it will bring forth the water needed for the assembly and for their beast. So in verse number 9 it says, And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels. Ye rebels. Have you ever been called a rebel? Has it ever happened to you? It's not a compliment. Okay, if you understand what's going on here, if you'll keep all this in mind, here's what's happening, or here's what has happened. The children of Israel have come out against Moses and Aaron. They have done so in anger. They have done so in frustration. And now as a result of God getting, the, 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 getting with Moses and Aaron, and Aaron and Moses getting alone with God, the instruction is speak to the rock, but we understand right now that Moses is still angry with the children of Israel. And you and I can understand that if we're honest. So he refers to them in verse number 10 as a group of rebels, and he asks him a question, Must we fetch you water out of this rock? Do we have to do this for you? So in verse number 11, many of us know what happens. It says in verse number 11, And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beast also. So now everyone is happy because everyone has received their water. But in verse number 8, what was the command? The command was, speak to the rock. In verse number 11, what did Moses do? In his frustration, it seems, and in his anger, it seems, it says that he lifted up his rod, and with the rod he smote the rock twice. Now, friend, if you've been told to speak and you smite, then what have you just done? You have just disobeyed what God has clearly told you to do. So Moses, in that act of smiting the rock rather than speaking to the rock, he has disobeyed clearly what God told him to do. Now I want us to think about this because I think this is very important. By no means was this the first sin committed by Moses. Moses had certainly committed some other sins. And we might even say it like this, Moses had even committed some big sins. By this point in the life of Moses, he had already committed murder. You understand this? In the land of Egypt, he had already killed an Egyptian for beating a Hebrew. And Moses, taking up for the Hebrew, stepped outside his parameter of authority and he killed the Egyptian who was beating a Jew, a fellow Hebrew, a fellow Israelite. So it's not as though this is the first sin that Moses has ever committed. Moses has even been guilty of committing murder at this point in his life. But as he smote the rock rather than speaking to the rock, notice what it says in verse number 12. It says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because ye believed me not, 
to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore ye shall not bring the congregation into the land which I have given them. In verse number 12, here is the verdict that the Lord gave unto Moses and Aaron. Because you did not believe me, because you did not sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, because you did not do what I told you to do, here is your punishment. You will not enter the land that has been promised to the children of Israel. I want to ask you something, parent to parent. Have your kids ever disobeyed you and in anger you handed out some punishment? That's probably never happened to you, but at our house it's happened a couple of times. The kids have done something and, and you know, I, I mean, just immediately it frustrated me, immediately it upset me. And as a result of their act of disobedience, it, it, it set me off and because of that, I was ready to lop some heads and I was ready to say, hey, you're not going to do this, you're not going to do this, go to your room, put that down, I'm tired of this, they got a lecture, whatever it is. So have you as a parent ever been guilty of maybe just a little bit overreacting to the offense? I want us to think about something. This is Moses. Never a prophet like Moses since him. Moses knew the Lord face to face. Moses was used by God to show the signs and the wonders to the, to the people of Egypt and to Pharaoh, to his servants and to all the land. I mean, this is Moses, the one who was able to show the, the terror of the Lord, the might and the strength of the Lord to all the Israelites. I mean, this is Moses we're talking about. He got mad one time. And smote a rock rather than speaking to the rock. And the Lord says, because of that act of disobedience, you will not enter into the promised land. I want to ask you something. If you and I are honest and we know how important and how amazing and how special Moses is, would we not be honest enough this morning to admit that we probably would have let that one slide? I don't know about you, but I'm telling you, I would have. I would have said, Moses, I don't blame you. You're dealing with a bunch of idiots. Of course you can still enter into the land. If I had to put up with them, I would have done a lot worse than that. I don't know about you, but I just know how my mind thinks, how my mind operates. And I think, Moses, I know from my perspective, Moses would have received some preferential treatment on my behalf or from me because of who he was in the lives of the Israelites. That in mind, I want to ask you another question, parent to parent. Have there ever been those times that we have disciplined our children, and as a result of that discipline, you know, the kids are kind of a little upset, their, their spirit is more than a little broken, and sometimes they're just kind of moping around the house after that. Have you ever... You probably never witnessed that. Probably just something my kids have done, right? You know, they, they got in trouble about something, and, and as a result of getting in trouble and getting disciplined now, they're just kind of walking around the house like they have no reason to live. 
And then they just kind of make little statements that let you know that it's still on their mind and it's still something they're contemplating and weighing out. Has that ever happened to you? Like, yeah, all my friends get to. Yeah, well, I was going to, but... And you hear all that? Have there ever been times where maybe your wife or your husband said to you something like this, Hey, honey, do you think maybe you were a little too hard on them? Has that statement ever been made? Some of you are looking at me like, no, it's never been made in our house. Okay, it's been made in our house. I'm just going to be honest with you. The statement has been made in our house. Hey, honey, I don't think they meant to do that. I don't think that's what they meant when they said that. And, and, and you know, I just, I, I, I think you may have overreacted or I think I may have overreacted. And, and so here's what happens. Sometimes when we've overreacted, what do we do? We, we rescind the punishment that was handed out. We take it back. And we say something like this, hey, listen, I'm sorry. When that happened a while ago, I got mad. I said something, and, you know, just in my anger, I said, you're not going to do this. And my frustration, I punished you, and, and, and I'm sorry. Hey, listen, you can whatever it is I've said they can't. Can you identify with this at all? You know, the kid's just walking around, moping, and just kind of upset, and, and, and you haven't yet said, you better put a smile on your face or I'll give you something to cry about. We haven't reached that point yet, okay? And we say, you know what, we're, we're going to change our mind. You're a good kid. You did something stupid. Hey, we've all done something stupid. It's okay, you can Turn, if you would, for just a moment, please, to Deuteronomy chapter 3. In Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse number 23, it says this. This is Moses speaking, by the way, and it is Moses reviewing the history of Israel with them prior to them eventually entering into the promised land. And Moses is talking about his experience with the Lord in relation to what had happened with the rock there in Numbers chapter 20. Notice what he said in verse number 23. He said, And I besought the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, Thou hast begun to show thy servant thy greatness and thy mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or in earth that can do according to thy works and according to thy might? I pray thee, let me go over and see the good land that is beyond Jordan, that goodly mountain and Lebanon. You know what Moses says to the children of Israel by way of review in verse number 25? He said this, I asked the Lord, Lord, please let me, I'm praying, please let me go over and see the good land that is beyond the Jordan, that goodly mountain. Uh, God, I'm asking you, let me enter into the promised land. And notice in verse number 26, he said, But the Lord was wroth with me for your sakes and would not hear me. You understand what that means? 
The Lord was upset at me because of what I had done in relation to you and the whole rock incident. And he would not hear me, he would not listen to me. And notice what he said. And the Lord said it said unto me, Let it suffice thee, speak no more unto me of this matter. You know what the Lord finally had to tell Moses? You will get to see the land, but you will not get to enter into the land. You better just let that satisfy you. Do you understand me? And then he said in verse number 26, Speak no more unto me of this matter. What does that mean? It means this. I don't want to hear another word about this. Have you ever said that to your child? I have spoken, and I don't want to hear another word about it. That is exactly what the Lord said to Moses. You will see it. You will not enter in. Let that satisfy you. And I don't want to hear another word about this from you. Do you understand? We're talking about Moses. Never since Moses has there been another prophet like him. Should he not get some kind of preferential treatment? Should there not be like an extra measure of grace because of that one failure in his life? You and I may be of that mindset. You and I may be of that persuasion. But you know what the Lord said? It's not happening. And I don't want to hear another word about it. Now, in that transaction and in that interaction between Moses and God, as Moses besought the Lord to change his mind and to let him go over and to see the good land, as, as Moses did all that in relation to his asking of the Lord, you know what Moses learned? Moses learned... That there are times when sins are committed that there are unalterable consequences no matter who you are. It doesn't matter that you're the greatest prophet to ever serve the nation of Israel. With that sin... It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've accomplished. It does not matter how you have been used. With that sin, there is a consequence that will not be altered, that will not be changed, that will not be lessened to any degree. Obviously, Moses wrestled with that. Because the Lord said, Speak no more unto me of this matter. Now this morning I want us to think about something. If we were to somehow try to rank ourselves 
Moses would be way up here. And we would be nowhere near Moses by way of the ways in which God has used us compared to him. You realize this? You and I have never known the Lord face to face. You and I have never been used to show the signs and wonders to a heathen nation, their servants, and all their land. And you and I have never been used of God to show his people the signs and the wonders and the terror and all that God did. Okay, Here is Moses way up here, and here we are. We're not even the same league as Moses. Now here is what happens in the lives of so many people. They believe that with every sin they commit, there will always be grace enough to cover that sin. You know, if I do this, God will forgive me. Or I've done this and God will forgive me. I've done this and, and God will forgive me because of God's great and amazing grace. And this morning, I want us to think about this, that while there is always enough grace to forgive whatever sins a person commits, that does not mean that the consequences of those sins are always alterable. I don't understand why Moses was allowed to murder someone and quote-unquote get away with it, but when he smote a rock rather than speaking to a rock, he didn't get away with it. I don't understand that, but it made perfect sense to God, and frankly, that's all that matters at that moment. Now see, here is what happens. Somebody says, well, you know, I committed this sin and there is grace for that sin. I committed this sin and there is grace for that sin. And, and you're right, there is grace for forgiveness in that sin. We could say to whoever would say such a thing. But we have got to remind people from time to time that there are times that we commit sins or that people commit sins and the consequence of that sin will be permanent in nature in our lives. This morning, I think if we were honest, many of us could go around the room this morning and say something like this. I have committed many sins. And some of those sins have led to consequences that I will never be able to escape from. I, I think if we went around the room this morning, which obviously we're not going to, but if we went around the room this morning and we let people speak of their sins, speak of their past, speak of what it is that they were guilty of, I think many of us would have to say something like this, and to this day... I am dealing with the consequence of that sin. And I will go to my grave dealing with the consequence of that sin in one way or another. See, here's what sin doesn't tell us, is that the consequence of that sin could be unalterable. 
So many times in our anger, so many times in our emotions, so many times in our lust, so many times, whatever it may be, we are guilty of committing sins only to discover later, I'll deal with that now forever. It doesn't matter how many times I pray. It doesn't matter how many ways I beseech the Lord. It doesn't matter how many tears I shed. That will not change the consequence of my disobedience. Now this morning I want us to focus on this truth. You and I cannot change anything that happened prior to this moment. You understand that? You and I cannot change one thing that happened an hour ago, a day ago, a week ago, a year ago, or anything of that nature. We cannot change anything that happened back then. But you know what we need the reminder of? We need the reminder of this, that we're not so special that we cannot commit some sin today or in the future that will not have unalterable consequences. And whether we'd like to admit this this morning or not, this is so. We could be flirting with sins that could have an unalterable consequence in our lives. To us, it's not a big deal. It's smiting a rock versus speaking to a rock. I mean, this is no big deal. What I'm wrestling with and what I'm thinking about and what I'm toying with in my mind, this isn't a big deal. I want to remind us this morning, we have no idea how big of a deal it could be. We have no idea what the consequence could be. We have no idea what the, listen, what the eternal ramifications of that might be. And there could be people right now in the church this morning flirting with certain sins because you have determined in your mind it's not that big a deal or if it does turn into a big deal I'll just repent and make everything okay with God there will be enough grace to cover it and though there will be enough grace to find forgiveness there may not be enough grace to alter the consequence God never looked at Moses and said, Moses, you're so special. You're so important. You're so valuable. The rules don't apply to you. And if all the rules applied to Moses, I need to be reminded and you need to be reminded that all the rules apply to you. Sin just isn't worth messing with. Disobedience to God's word, it is not worth the risk. And I just want to say to every one of us this morning, if you're flirting with it, if you're thinking about it, if you're toying with it, if you're tiptoeing into it, if you're contemplating it, whatever it is, if you are in the process of playing with sin, thinking it won't hurt you, just be reminded today that it will hurt you and that it could hurt you in ways that will stick with you the rest of your life. Is that 
really worth it. I hope we have the wisdom this morning to know it's not worth it. And when God tells us to do something, we need to do it. Whether that's what our flesh wants to do, whether that's what our spirit wants to do, whether that's what our desires are or not, we need to do what God has commanded because we have no way of knowing what the consequences will be until after the fact, and it could be that there's no changing it once it's established. I hope we'll examine. I hope we'll let the Holy Spirit look. And if there's anything that needs to be addressed, I pray that it'll be addressed this morning. Let's all stand today and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, I come to you this morning. Lord, we see a powerful example and a powerful principle in the life of Moses. God, he was not exempt from the consequence of his sin. Why you dealt with that sin the way that you did really is none of our business, though we don't understand it. And Lord, there could be some in here this morning, if they would just be honest before you, they would have to admit they are right on the edge of committing some sin that they think might be harmless and it could forever change their lives if they're not careful. I pray that you'd help us to be honest this morning and to deal with whatever sin you may bring to mind. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.